We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which this podcast is recorded and produced, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, whose sovereignty was never ceded and this area's original name was Nam. We pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Damn! We're in a tight spot. Welcome to Music Town. My service you? Great Scott! It will never be enough! I only want to hear Yaya Ding Dong! Ah, as if! Dignity. Always dignity. Hey, welcome to You Watched What? The Movie Gossip Podcast. I'm Amy. And I'm Kate. This week, I made Kate watch Black Swan for the first time. Mm -hmm. But before we get into it, Kate, I believe it's your turn to tell us what your top 10 comfort films are. That's right. So, I think we'll count down like we did with you. Yeah, great. From 10 to 1. So, coming in at number 10, Mm -hmm. Singing in the Rain. Oh, yes. Yes. This is... Perfect, like this is a perfect musical movie, isn't it? Yes, it is. I just, I love it so much. I love Gene Kelly. Mm-hmm. I particularly love a gossip story I saw online some years ago where uh, Debbie Reynolds had um, was at an event with fans and someone had a copy of the Singing in the Rain script for her to sign, and she signed it, and then she said, "Do you want me to do Jean's? I can, I can forge his signature." <laughs> <laughs> Probably makes it more valuable oh. knowing that it's actually not his signature. Oh, most that definitely. It's the forged signature. If you had that and that story to go with it, yeah, oh, that's the best. So good. But yeah, I, lo- I love that movie. It, it is. is a great movie. The songs are just fantastic, the aren't they? The songs are top notch. It is so much fun. There's just so much joy in that movie. Yes. Number nine mm-hmm. on that Jane Austen tip is Clueless. Ah oh, yes, I mean enough said last week, but yeah. it is it is one of my favorite movies um, of all time. Yeah, based on Emma, Emma by Jane Austen, one of my favorite books of all time. A book that I can go back to and read again and again and again. Number eight is the animated movie Spirited Away. Oh, I haven't seen this one. Oh, this is this also one of my all time favorite movies. It is beautiful. Spirited Away is the story of a girl who's about seven. She's moving to the country to a new town with her family and leaving her friends and her school behind. Mm-hmm. They stop off at a, an abandoned amusement park. Okay. Um, and then her parents discover a restaurant that's got a lot of amazing looking food. And this is something that Miyazaki's films do so well. The food is always animated in a way that just makes it look so tasty and mm-hmm. real. They eat a bunch of food even though there's no one there to pay. And then they get turned into pigs. Oh, okay. And so Chihiro, our main character, has to get a job in this bathhouse for the spirits. To right, to pay off. To work, um, yeah, work off her parents' debt and, and get them turned back into humans. And so she goes on this amazing adventure through the um, Japanese spirit world and learns a lot about herself and becomes, a, you know, a much more grown-up, resilient little person it's just awesome delightful number seven is a classic the 1999 mummy oh another one that i have not seen i know um 
I love I love these movies. I love Mummy and Mummy Returns are both just they're just so much fun. And yeah. I think that's the recurring theme of my comfort movies is I want something that's just fun. Yeah, that I'm that I've enjoyed and I know that I, I can enjoy over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Number six is Inception. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Christopher Nolan film. Yeah. I love this movie because it has beautiful costumes and it doesn't make he- – it makes just enough sense yeah. for me to go, yeah, this is a good science fiction movie. Mm-hmm. Everyone's extremely handsome and beautiful. <laughs> Their outfits are all really, really good. Tom Hardy is in it being kind of sassy and gorgeous. I've, I've seen it once, I think, and it it was one that I didn't really understand mm. at the time. Mm. But I do think about it every now and then. My husband loves it and talks about it mm. quite a bit. And I think he's seen it a few times. But, um, yeah, it's one that I th- I'm going to have to watch again and really concentrate while I'm watching it. You can do that. I can't promise that that will make, we'll make it, it make sense. sense. I'm fundamentally... I'm not sure if any of Christopher Nolan's movies make a lot of sense. What else has he done? I haven't seen Tenet, which is his most recent movie, which is about time moving backward and forward. Um, Okay, so that's a bit of a theme for him. Very much a theme. Yeah. The Matthew McConaughey movie that I can't remember the name of, it's space travel and he goes into space. In Inception, no. <laughs> no, it's Interstellar. It's Interstellar, thank you. I, might I haven't in. seen that one. I haven't seen Interstellar either, but my husband, ha- he's, yeah. he's the thing, <laughs> my husband has and talks about it all the time and loves it. I so have- obviously he is a fan of Christopher Nolan. And fair, look, I, I've got to say, I am a fan of Christopher Nolan's works. He is... Oh, God, that sounded wanky. I am a fan of Christopher Nolan's movies. His, his works. His works. His <gasps> works. <laughs> who's, got, who's, done, who's studied cinema studies before? Talk, I'm talking <laughs> like, I was, like I'm in a tute and I'm trying to sound intelligent. You're and standing up the front doing an oral presentation, Kate. <laughs> Christopher Nolan. I didn't like Interstellar. Oh, you didn't like it. I found okay. it very frustrating and I didn't think the plot held together. The big Okay, Nolan-y Once again, can't comment, haven't seen it. Not overly interested. Wasn't overly interested, even though I was told a million times to, to watch it. I'm a huge fan of how he just puts Michael Caine as a dad figure in every movie now. Oh, okay. And I think he's just working out all of his dad issues via Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Um, Why not? And in he, one of the Batmans... Oh, like, he's done Ma- Batman. He did, he did Batman Begins and he did The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. He did all of those Christa, okay. um, Christian Bale Batmans. Right. I've only ever seen The Dark Knight. It, look, there. I think that's the best one. I mean, that's the Heath Ledger Joker yeah. one, which is spectacular. Um, Michael Caine is Alfred. Yes. And... Great in it. Yeah. And Morgan Freeman is Lucius Fox. Yes. And they both kind of hint at past lives of badassery. What I really want... Is their origin story? I want the origin story of those two characters, but also I do want it to be a gay romance because they just had a lot of chemistry. <laughs> a thing that Christopher <laughs> Nolan is great at, but he doesn't know that he's great at, is just putting a lot of men on screen together because he either can't or just doesn't, right? Use women. There's like... A woman in each movie, maybe. Yeah, well, that's true. 
And then what happens when you put a lot of charismatic men together and give them a lot of um, important emotional experiences to go through in their movies is you make it accidentally gay. Mm. Yeah. Which I'm fine with. Yeah. Who I think you should make things gay on purpose. But I think so too. Accidentally. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, I want the gay love story of um, Lucius Fox when he was made. And Alfred. And yeah, maybe Lucius Fox was in the Black Panthers. Alfred oh. was, you know, fresh out of the army or something. And he's like, basically, is he a butler or is he like... This just security? sounds like you need to start writing some fan fiction, Kate. Yes, it does. <laughs> I've got a name for it. Oh, okay. Sly Fox and the Major. Oh, well, well I haven't have written Have you already been no. writing it? <laughs> no, but every so often I think about it. Anyway, number five. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, yes. Cohen Brothers classic. This is the movie that made me realise that um, George Clooney is actually a star. Yeah, he – it was – yeah, it probably was his, one of his first kind of big movies, wasn't it? Yeah, and one of the big movies – I think I think he might have done his Batman before this. Oh, yes. But this was the movie that was – that showed – Oh no, he can act and he is hilarious. He has great comic timing. Yeah. I, I saw this in the cinema three times. It's wow. that good. Yeah. When did it come out? Early 2000s. Okay. I think I saw it in the cinema three times, partly because I was a student and I had a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> One was with our dad and a couple were with friends. I just enjoyed it so much. And. It's, it's this kind of crazy rollicking story. You get to a point toward the end where things are really just kicking off and every time I see it, it's just this yeah. – I think I've only joy. seen it once and, and it was a long, long time ago so I don't really remember too much about it. Mm. But, yeah, you'd get good list. There's a lot there that I haven't seen. I expect both of our lists to start contributing a lot to the movies that yeah, we're bringing. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. They're the easy oh. ones for us to talk about. Well, exactly. One of us is super passionate and the other one hasn't seen it. Yes. This is, the perf- <laughs> this is basically yeah, – that's the podcast, guys. Yeah, that's basically it. Number four, Hot Fuzz. Oh, this was almost on my list. Yeah. It's a great movie. And it is – it's like – it's another great one that's got all the one-liners. Yes. Yep. Minimum of, of once a year I will go back and watch this. Yes. And watch it at any time. Yeah. Full of one-liners. Fully aware of what it's doing, which is just being a love letter to other action movies. Yeah. Which is yep. a, yeah, a genre I love. Number three, The Big Lebowski. Okay, yes. Yeah. I also have not seen this movie. I don't know how you avoided it since... Um, it was always on at our house. Yes. The but dad got, it, got me into the Coen brothers. Yeah, it was always seemed to be on on the weekends. Yeah. Or, but I was off dancing probably or... In my room dancing or dancing around the house and True. just not paying that much attention probably. So, yeah, number number two, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Number one, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Woo-woo! These movies are such a big deal in our family, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're just, huge. They're just so beloved and such, such a fun part of... Yeah, it was a huge part of us growing up. It was something that we could really bond with our dad over because he loved them. Mm. And even when we were watching the new one, Bill and Ted Face the Music, dad was sitting there laughing with us and mum kind of got up and had a shower halfway through. <laughs> and was just like, oh, this is silly. And <laughs> Yeah, an experience we've had a lot. Um, 
with our parents where dad really got into it. Not that mum doesn't like movies, but I think we've definitely inherited most of our taste from dad. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Amy, what have you been watching this week? Uh, This week, I kind of halfway through the week got onto ABC iView because I kind of tend to leave it a few weeks and then jump on iView and catch up on everything that I've missed. So I watched a few episodes of Gardening Australia. I caught up on Hard Quiz. I watched a little bit of You Can't Ask That, which is a really interesting um, show that everyone should go and watch mm-hmm. and be really, really informative. And most excitingly, though, I watched the new Kitty Flanagan <gasps> show, Fisk. Hilarious. Awesome. You have to go and watch it. Um, they've just got one episode up, so I'm assuming they've only – it's a it's just it's started. Just started. Um, but it was great. Mm. So everyone needs to go and watch Fisk. Awesome. I will. I knew that that was coming and she's fantastic. Yeah, Glenn yeah. Robbins is in this episode and it's priceless. Fantastic. It's everything you want with from Glenn Robbins. Awesome, awesome. Oh, good. What have you been watching, Kate? Well, something that I binged a couple of weeks ago and then have recent, well, no, about a month ago, but then went and re-binged the whole season again was mm-hmm. Ted Lasso. Okay, yeah, I haven't gotten around to watching this yet, but you have mentioned it a couple of times mm-hmm. to me. And it was on my list for a bit. I'd seen a few reviews that that said basically the same thing, that this is very nice, this is very, you know, enjoyable. Things that make you think this is worth going to be worth watching but don't necessarily hurry you along. Mm-hmm. And did get through it um, within 24 hours the first time. It's just so warm and kind, like nice. Nice can be a bit of, you know, damning yeah. with faint praise. And it is nice but it is so much more than that. It is about people just really seeing each other and seeing what they're capable of and mm-hmm. and being supportive while also making them accountable for their mistakes. Yeah. Which also okay. d- doesn't make it sound like fun. It's about a guy played by Jason Sudeikis, number two oh, on my list of people. Yes, I, okay. Not sure I can say. I've now so that this is on the Apple. Yes, the it's Apple on Plus, Apple Plus, right? Which I actually saw this up come up on my Apple TV last mm. night. So Ted Lasso is an American college football coach who gets hired to coach an English Premier League team. Shenanigans ensue. Right. Yes. Okay. And this is ringing bells yeah. for me now. Yes, it's just joyful and kind and very funny. And the main that's the one of the football team characters, the captain of the team, Roy Keane, gives me very strong Eric Cantona vibes, which I particularly ah, enjoy. Ah, yes, yes. He's got very thick eyebrows. He's very <laughs> angry. <laughs> awesome. I had the craziest dream last night about a girl who was turned into a swan, but her prince falls for the wrong girl and she kills herself. So, Kate, how did you like Black Swan? I loved it. It's a horror movie. Yeah. I did not know. Yeah. Well, it was interesting because I always just kind of thought it was a psychological thriller. Well. And then I, when I was watching it, I saw that it was the, – the word horror was put next to it mm. and I kind of went, oh, I don't know if I would call it 
it's not horror. In my head, horror is people being chased and, Slashes. you know, slash, slash, yeah. yeah, slasher movies is what I kind of pigeonhole horror for for me. Yeah. So for me, it was more of a psychological thriller, I guess. Mm. And I think psychological thr- thriller is what we call movies that critics like. When they're horror, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, when a, yeah. When a critic likes a horror movie and it they does call really it a well psychological. Critically. Yeah, they make psychological it thriller. Okay, they make it sound fancy. They do, right? But since earlier we had talked about how many horror movies I might make you watch as part mm. of this project, and and then I made you watch the first one, and then there you, you started it. I think which gives me um, free reign. Don't don't go too horror for me. I don't want to see too much blood and guts. Fair, <laughs> that's fair. But yes, that was that was one of the things that struck me really, really quickly. <gasps> this is a horror movie, which I'm thrilled by. This so is a genre point, I love. So at what point did you kind of go, right, this is a horror movie? Basically, it's, it's hit me that it's a horror movie when Natalie Portman's character, Nina, is going home on the, the first day that we've seen in the film. Okay, yes. And she's passing through that little tunnel, the, the yes. roadwork tunnel. See someone at the end, and it's her. And it's her. It's yes. her doppelganger, and I just had this this moment of glee of, oh, it's a horror movie. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! I know where I am with this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's the point where, to me, it really makes me go, "Oh, she is got some major mental health issues yes. happening." <laughs> yeah. This is a character whose touch with reality is. Rapidly slipping away. Yes, it is. So let's go back to the start. So Black Swan is based around a ballet company, I would say. Mm -hmm. It's it's set in New York. So it would be mirroring the New York City Ballet or the ABT, the American Ballet Theatre. Those are the... They're the two major ones. They're probably the most major ones in America because they're in New York, even though there's some other great ballet companies around the country, but they're probably the two biggest ones because they're in New York. Yeah. Um, so we're based there and then we've got our main player, Nina, who is a soloist at this company and they're, they're doing a production of Swan Lake. They're opening their season with Swan Lake and it's a huge deal to be cast as um, the, the Odette and Odell, who's, who's – so there's – the white swan and the black swan, and traditionally they played by or danced by the same dancer. Uh-huh. So that's what she's she's aiming for. That's what she wants. She wants that part. She wants to to you know it's it's a huge deal for a dancer to play that part basically yeah. or dance that part. I keep saying play because we're talking about a movie, yeah. but um, to to dance that that role is yeah. is kind of career changing, I guess. And this is as a person who enjoys the ballet, but is by no means an expert. This is one of the most famous ballets. Yeah, I think it's one that most people have heard of. Mm. And that if you music. Ha- if you've heard yeah. of Swan Lake, you've definitely heard the music. Mm-hmm. It gets It's a bit like the Nutcracker, really. Yeah. Like everybody knows the Nutcracker mu- music because it's in so many films and yeah. in so many ads. And Swan Lake's very similar in mm. that way too, that you would know the music. Yeah. You'd, you'd know bits and pieces. You'd even know just little eight counts here and there that yeah. get played. Do this is a Tchaikovsky um, yes. score. Yeah, I love, I love the score for this. I've seen this one like um, performed a couple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me mm. too. There's there's lots of different versions out there. And she starts 
in a dream, dreaming that she's dancing the white swan and yes. tells her mother, who is a retired ballerina, that the choreo was more like the Bolshoi's. First ballet question, Amy. Mm-hmm. Is the choreo in her dream more like the Bolshoi's? Yeah, I wasn't paying that much attention, yeah, fair. To, to, <laughs> to be honest. And I am not really across the, the Bolshoi um, choreography for the white swan solo. thought I'd ask. But, yeah, worth asking, but no, I'm not 100% sure. But I would say they wouldn't put that in there. If they didn't. Look, I say this with a grain of salt because I was about to say they wouldn't say that that in a ballet, a movie so heavily about ballet where so many people that know ballet and so many ballerinas in the movie. Mm. Um, But in saying that, there's there's a lot of things I'm going to talk about later that, that, uh, yeah. I don't think they were too scared about pissing off the ballet community, to be honest. That's fair, I guess. The first thing that strikes me is the the mother-daughter relationship here Mm. is creepy. Yeah. She is being babied. She is Mm -hmm. being dressed by her mum. Yeah, and it's interesting because part of me was a lot of the – at the start was like, oh, this mum's crazy. She's crazy. Um, but watching it back again, I wonder if the mother is so overbearing because she knows of all the mental health issues that Nina has. So I don't know whether it's it's probably a really fine line of mm. whether the mum is a major cause of these mental health issues or if there's something else going on and the mum's trying her very best to contain her mental health issues. Yeah, it's interesting and I don't think we get an answer no. in the film. Um, probably, spoilers, um, from here on out for the rest of the film, we will be talking about everything. Yes. A, a very unhealthy codependent relationship. Oh, very much so. Which in a hor- is, is absolute gold for a horror movie. Like, this is this is a terrible relationship in real life. Fortunately, this isn't real life this and we can life. just enjoy yes how this terrible relationship unfolds and what may have led to this point where these two women are, are so dependent on each other. Yeah. And there's, there's quite a few scenes that we'll talk about when we get up to them that, yeah, I kind of, yeah, I kind of flipped between is this mum just doing her best or mm. is this mum like the cause of a lot of the problems? Yeah, you and probably a mix of both in yeah. reality. How, she, mu- how much is she living her ballet dreams oh, through her daughter? definitely living her ballet dreams through her daughter because there is a, a – so in ballet companies there's there's levels. So you start off in the core. I think in America too you start off as an apprentice and then you join the core. So oh. I know here in Australia we've got – the corps de ballet, which is where most of the dancers are, and that's where you you sit for a, a few years. Some some dancers stay there, and then we've got coreographer, and then we've got soloists, senior artists, and then principals. So from what I can gather from this company, though, it kind of seems because these dancers that it's kind of set around are soloists. And they're doing principal roles. Mm. So I would feel that they're probably just a step under the principals, yep. I guess. Um, this was a part where I felt it was a bit things confusing. were maybe simplified for a yes. non-ballet audience. And I found it a little bit confusing with how much 
like why all these soloists were getting major, major roles mm. and there was really no mention of principal dancers at all, which I kind of found found a little bit unrealistic. There was one there is principal, one principal dancer artist. and she's played out to be crazy and but only one principal mm. dancer. Well, and there were it's it's kind of funny. There are basically only two men in the company if you're watching this yeah. it, it gives you the impression that there are only two male dancers yeah. in the whole company. Look, Swan Lake is a very female heavy true ballet. There probably is only two roles for men mm. other than like the party scenes and and things like that where they would get more men in, but for major roles there's only really yeah. two male roles. Yeah. So I definitely get the sense that what we see of the company here like it's not really we're not seeing all of the um, dancers that we would see if you had a ballet that was focusing on the yeah. entire company. Oh, definitely. And like you can't expect a movie no. to be able to do that. It's actually quite a small um, principal cast for the film, yes. really. Yeah. We have the wonderful Winona Ryder as the retiring principal dancer. Well, retiring, I would, I would say that. Being pushed yeah, out. Yeah, she's being pushed out. She's being pushed out. She's old. Um, I think that they mentioned something like she's 35 maybe mm. I heard. Um, yeah, well, when and I would have been in her late 30s when this was filmed. Yeah, and just, oh, look, it probably is something that does happen in ballet companies. Um, but, yeah, she, was, she wasn't retiring. She was being told that yeah. it's time to go basically. And she was not happy about she was it. She was not happy about it at all. Very small but very um, significant role. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love Winona. Yes. Vincent Cassel as Toma, the... Yes. He's fantastic in this. He is not a likeable guy. He no, looks... No, not he, at all. He's perfect for this because his ability to just look like he's sneering, mm. whatever his face is actually doing, yeah. is spectacular. And I, I um, know that Hugh Jackman was up for that role oh. and all I can say is thank God he didn't get it because he is creepy and there's we'll, we'll go into some other stuff when we start going through the movie properly but um yeah I was just so glad that Hugh Jackman didn't get this role because it would have really it changed your feelings about <laughs> Hugh Jackman so. yeah I think so yeah I think Vincent Cassell is is spectacular casting and brings that vague European vibe for the art scene Yes. Like I think there's something in there that he's French and Yeah. I, yeah, I think I think he's spectacular in it. He is not a nice person. No. Okay, so we we start off I think we were saying before that we we start off with them going so she has her dream that she's the white swan, then she gets to to work that day and they're doing their warm up, their their daily class in the morning and Toma comes in and kind of selects some girls to go off and do a um, audition. audition for the the main part. And so they go off in the afternoon for the ad- audition and Nina, played by Natalie Portman, I don't know if we've mentioned that yet. But Sorry, Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman is our, is our main character um, who plays our main character. And in the middle of her audition, our next main player busts in the door Lily, Lily, new solo was played by played yeah. by Mila Kunis. Yep, Lily um, played by Mila Kunis, and it distracts Nina, and she falls off doing her fuetes. 
also immediately after the artistic director, Tomar, has um, kind of criticised her and really gotten up in her space about, I would cast you if it was just the white swan, but can you give me the black swan? Yeah. So the difference between the white swan and the black swan, as Tomar kind of puts it, the white swan's very innocent um, and the black swan is meant to be a little bit more evil and sexy, I guess, mm. and have a bit more of that sex appeal and and lacking the innocence that Odette, our white swan, has. And so, she, yeah, she's mentally been put off and then this loud door opens in the middle of her doing fuetes, which is a really hard turning step, and she falls off her point and she panics and wants to do it again and he's just dismissive and... No, I've seen enough. She goes home and... Is quite upset. Is very upset. Very, very upset. So she kind of makes a plan for the next day that she's going to go in and see Toma and I guess tries to seduce him in a really awkward way. I loved this scene because, yes, it's so awkward. She comes in... Um, wearing the lipstick that she stole, that she stole from the dressing room of the principal artist. Yep, from Beth Winona Ryder. Yes, her hair's down like the version of herself, the I guess hallucinatory version of herself she saw. Yes, the night before. Yeah, and there's this great little music cue in that, like this is where the music starts to get a little horror film too. Mm-hmm. There's this great little kind of tense music cues that are building up to something, and they can't really. Suddenly. So then Toma is basically... Yeah, he dismisses her. Oh, he kind of he dismisses goes, oh, her. dismisses her. She says, oh, okay. And then he goes, oh, is that, is that, yeah. or are you going to just take no for an answer? Didn't yeah. you come here to seduce me? You were supposed to offer me yeah, sexual favours for this. Basically. And then kind of said, oh, I've picked someone else anyway. Mm. Um, and leaves, basically. She well, leaves no. and... He's on her for a kiss and she bites him. Of course. She bites him. And that is what gets her the role. Yes, of course. His concerns in casting her that she doesn't have the – she has the technical skills, but she doesn't have the passion, the ability to lose control. Yeah. Um, And and then he sexually assaults her and she bites him. (laughs) Yes. And he loves it. Yeah. Doesn't stop him from trying to sexually assault her again no, later on down no, the track, but because he's disgusting. I think is it that is it in that scene that he calls her frigid? Yes, I think so. Yeah, it's such a derogatory kind mm. of thing to call someone. Yeah, um, I found that really quite jarring to to watch. Yeah, that happen. This film is it feels very aware the whole time of the power dynamics that it's looking at, um, the the issues you have that they also – that are a really big issue in, in the film industry of male artistic directors and directors um, having a lot of power not over even younger women it, and It's also a reflection that. of the, the dance industry too. You know, yeah. there's so many male artistic directors, much more than female artistic directors. Yeah even though ballet is such a female-heavy art form. Yeah. The men are still the ones in power, basically. Mm-hmm. As in many Life. fields. Yeah. Okay, so Sorry, we no, then no, find also. out that she's got the role. Even though in real life, in a large company, 
Would there not be multiple artists oh, cast? Definitely. Like we we know we go to the ballet quite a bit. We do. And we know that, you know, you have to check your casting to see who who you're gonna see because there might be three or four people doing that role. I don't know I know in America they do short so when they do a season, mm. they'll do a few different um, ballets within that season. Ah. So when we do a season um, oh, I don't even think we really call it a season. We will put uh, we Australia <laughs> like for example, the Australian ballet will say we're doing Romeo and Juliet for the next three weeks in Melbourne. Yep, and that's what you got, get to yep. go and see. And they usually sell out, and you'll see different people playing different roles because, each night. Yeah, and, and there might be three, four, five people playing that that same role. Um, because you have a ballet every night on some days you'll have a matinee and an evening performance. Yeah. So, yeah, it is very unrealistic. And I I don't know – it seemed really kind of high school musical kind of thing to put the cast list up like that. I don't, I don't feel that that's how it would really get done in a company. But I've never been part of a company, so mm. I don't know. But it just, it just felt really high school – to, to kind of do that and go, oh, the casting's up. Or it felt very centre stage, like when – well, they're still in high school the, the in centre stage. Mm. They're still at the, the school, the ballet school. So um, – The fame school. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's how they would do it in a company. It That felt – the only reason you would do it in a company like that is to create a kind of toxic – Rivalry, yeah. Yeah, rivalry, this sense of um of competition. yeah. And it works, it does, doesn't it? It definitely works in the context of yes. this movie, yeah. Yes. So Nina gets the role that she's after. She runs off to the bathroom to use her flip phone to call her mum. Yeah, and um, and this is, this is where another thing where it really shows that she's really young and really immature, even though she's a soloist. So she'd be in her mid to – well, they, they definitely her mid-20s. They do say later in the film she's 28. Okay, I think significant in the film because we also find out at that point that was the age her mother ended her career in order to have Nina. Yes. So okay. So, so yeah, she's, she's she's in an her, adult. She's but she calls her mum and says, "Mummy, he picked me." Yeah. She says he picked me, mummy, and it was really like a little girl calling her mum. Oh, totally. The whole that whole seeing it on the board, um, getting into an argument with one of the other women in the company, and then running to the bathroom to call her mum. Yeah. Fully feels like a, a high school. Yeah. So, and then she walks out of the bathroom stall and in the lipstick, which I'm assuming is the same lipstick, uh, she, whore is written across the mirror. She did that, right? Uh, if it's actually even really there. Like, yeah. it may even be a hallucination. This is the she's part, either yeah. done, it, it, She's either actually physically written it herself mm. or it's just a complete hallucination. I love that. We don't get that explained. At that point, I felt, and I've written it in my notes, like, she wrote that right. Um, Yeah, because it's kind of played off because she has just had a little confrontation with someone else in the hallway. Mm. So it's kind of played off with if it was your first watching or if you weren't really thinking too much about it, you'd think it was this other girl that had just gone and written whore and gone, oh, you've you've gotten this role because, you know, you went to him or – but, yeah, I kind of think it's a hallucination myself. 
I really enjoy that we don't actually get that confirmed. No. And a lot of this in the movie you don't get confirmed. It's all speculation. Because it's from her perspective. Yes. And she doesn't know what's really yeah, happening Yeah, because or not. she's very mentally unwell. Yeah, she is <laughs> not well. Not well at all. So from getting that part, we then flip into her working her ass off um, yes. rehearsing. With her real-life husband now. Yes, her with her real-life husband now, which we will talk a little bit more about later. Okay. Um, let's get through this first before we delve into oh, to we, all of that. <laughs> we, we also, before we get into that, we have another bit of, of body horror where she's picking at her cuticles, something that I do a mm. lot, and then peels away quite a lot of the skin yeah. on her finger and then looks down and, and that hasn't happened. That hasn't actually happened, yeah. Oh, some yeah. great moments of, of body horror there in this yes. movie. Yeah, there's a, yeah sh- there's a lot going on uh, and it just shows... We've already had that scene where she had um, been practising at home and had split her nail. Yeah, look... Her her feet weren't as fucked up as they should be to be a dancer, <laughs> quite frankly. I thought their, their, their attempt to make it look like, oh, she's really hurt her toe. Ooh, I've pulled um, toenails off and I'm not a professional dancer. So I was a little bit like, eh, you could have beaten up her toes a little bit more. I don't know whether they thought that by doing that it would look too unrealistic and to people that weren't dancers would go, oh, that's a bit far-fetched. But to me it was a little bit underplayed, her her feet, personally. Noted. It did give them somewhere to go with the actual body horror as she starts yes. to, I guess, hallucinate what's happening Yeah, And, and she is – we do discover around this point too that she – scratches when she's stressed and that's a clue where her mum sees that she's got these scratch marks on her shoulders and says oh you've been scratching again we'll start we'll we'll pull out all your shrugs and things so no one sees and she clips her nails back and that's when I kind of started to go right is the mum so overbearing because she knows how triggered she gets by stress Mm. and this is this is showing the mum that, oh, you're very, very stressed right now or, or um, yeah, yeah, you don't know whether that she's so overbearing. But in saying that, on the night that Nina, you know, tells her mum that she's got the part and her mum buys a big cake yes. and Nina says, no, I don't want any and the mum's just like, oh, well, we'll throw it out then and all very dramatic and... And it's a huge cake it's a for huge two people. Cake. That's a lot of days yeah, of Yeah, and then, then poor Nina has to kind of go, oh, no, no, I'll eat the cake, I'll eat the cake to kind of try and calm her mum down. So that's where I'm really conflicted between, mm. like, how much of this uh, anxiety and hallucinations are caused because of the pressure that she's been put under by her mum and how much is the how much is the mum's behavior because of Nina's anxiety and yeah. mental illness. I think it's a toxic loop. I think yeah, like most things when it comes to anxiety and stuff, you get stuck in a loop of um one thing's causing it and the thing that you think's going to fix it is now the cause of it and you get stuck in a in a cycle. Yeah. We go back to um, Vincent Cassell and his inappropriate workplace questions. Mm. Uh, men. Yeah. 
And look, he is his performance is excellent. Yeah, I don't know much about him at all. I don't even know if I've seen him in other things. Um, he's not someone that I recognised. Mm. Basically, yeah. He's look. His performance is excellent. This character, it makes a lot of sense to me that this character is like this. And I did a little bit of reading after watching the movie and uh, for number three on names that I'm definitely not going to pronounce correctly, he talked a bit about um, his character being a little inspired by George... um, Balashing. Balashing. Yeah, look, and he's also not a fave of mine. Mm. George Balashing was like, he's revered and loved in America and he's the founder of the New York City Ballet. Um, he does beautiful work but he was also one of the people that really kind of put pressure on what the idealistic ballerina body is and probably caused a lot of um, eating disorders and probably a lot of mental health issues over the years for dancers. Yeah, his idea of the perfect ballerina was extremely skinny and white. Yes, yeah, and that's the other big thing. That's it's all a very whitewashed. Mm. Um, well, it was for years, and that's something that the New York City, City Ballet are working really hard of to get out of. And credit to them and the people in charge of their their company now that they're doing that. That's great. But Balanchine, yeah, and I can see why he would have chosen to to use him. Mm. So I think this scene that you're you brought up before is where he asks her. Uh, do you enjoy making love? Yes. And she says, excuse me. And he says, sex. Do you like we it? We need to be able to talk about this. And my first response was like, uh, no, we don't, you big creep. I do not need to be discussing how much I enjoy sex with my boss. My notes are, why do you want to talk about, why do you need to talk about sex to do swan like dude pervert? Yeah, you You, you don't. don't. <laughs> Plain and simple, you don't. You do not have to discuss sex with anyone you do not want to do to discuss sex with. Full yes. stop. Ever, ever, no matter what you're doing in life, if you do not want to discuss your sex life with that person, you do not have to. Thank you. Creepy, gross, Crossing wrong. Line. Tells her to go home and touch herself. It's just wrong. And it's something that, I hope does not happen in ballet companies now. It is probably something that did happen in not only ballet companies, in lots of work situations and it probably is still happening now but, God, it needs to stop. Like you are saying before, she's 28 and but she, she mentally is not 28. No. She's still a little girl. No. She, and it's pr- maybe because... Her mum was a dancer and pushed and pushed and pushed and so maybe Nina never had a childhood and she's kind of stuck and hasn't evolved and grown any. But because of that, she's not in a place, even though we've seen her bite him earlier on, she's not in a place where she could go, shut up, you creep. Mm. No. She's not comfortable with the conversation. And then go to HR and go... (laughs) Excuse me, Toma is sexually harassing me. Yeah. <laughs> um, she's not comfortable with the conversation and she's not comfortable stopping the conversation. Yes. 
Yeah. And there's a part in there too, I think it's when in that same scene where, well, just before that, where she's dancing with um, her partner who's her husband in real life and who choreographed all the, the dancing for this movie and he kind of and Toma asks him oh would you fuck her and he's just like no and it's like oh it's just it's just vile the whole yeah. scene is vile sexualized workplace bullying it's gross yeah we do see and not enough gayness happening either just quite frankly like for a ballet we're company. in a ballet company where are the gays well, no, they're, well they're, <laughs> they're in the other room having a great time and making an entirely different movie yeah they're not in this one no no and it's just not how i i picture ballet companies to be <laughs> i picture ballet companies to be so much more friendly and gay and happy and Posting really funny TikToks and Instagram posts. Look, that's our experience with um, the ballet companies that we follow. And no, um, I'm just happy for for the ballet companies that that we really care about that they're not living psychosexual dramas. Yes, good for them. Yes, well, living a horror movie. Let's hope not. Anyway, (laughs) let's hope not. Um, That's all we can hope for for our favorite dancers. Yes. Have at this point had a few um, scenes set inside Nina's bedroom, and and you get a really good look um, after Tomah has given. I think the, the scene before he's given her the um, homework. Yes, to go home and touch herself, and you do see her in her bedroom. In in the next scene, she's there, stuffed toys visible. Yes, the she's got her music box. Mm. It's not subtle and I and I kind of appreciate how there's a lot in this movie that is not subtle. Yeah. They're not subtle about her relationship with her mother being extremely childish and, and that she is a child but um, it sets it up nice and quick mm. so that by this point in the movie it's, it's really established who she is yes. and why yeah. this so, might be happening to her. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's the scene in the morning where she starts doing her assignment that Toma has given her and she rolls over and her mum is sitting in the room. I can't remember why her mum was in there though. Was it because of the scratching? I think she's she's fallen asleep in the chair. Yeah. They don't explain it. My guess is that she's in there keeping an eye on her because, because of the scratching. Because of scratching. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like a mother might sit. You know, at the bedside of a sick child. Yeah. Sick child. child. Yes. So then we kind of move on to uh, the dynamic between Lily and Nina kind of starts to pick up. Yes. Where um, Lily wants to come and apologise to Nina for something that was said to Toma. I think because Nina and Lily had an interaction the night before yes. and – um, Nina was stressed and a bit upset and then there's, there's obviously been a conversation between Lily and Toma about Nina. Toma's then said something to Lily like, oh, you can't hack it or blah, blah, blah. And so then we've got Lily coming over to Nina's house to apologise. Now, initially the mother says that she's not there and shuts the mm. door, which is very, very controlling and a lot of red flags Flying high yep. there. Um, but Nina kind of twigs and rushes out the door and sees Lily and they end up going out for dinner. 
together. Yes. On this crazy night, the 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 day before, the night before, they're going to do um, a tech run at the stage, <laughs> and so Nina's quite uh, like, "Oh, we've got to take it easy. We've yeah. got, we're on the stage tomorrow. We're doing our tech run tomorrow. We 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 can't be having a big night." But Lily slips her something in her drink. Yes, which is probably not the best thing to do with someone who is not coping mentally at all. No, and that's really interesting where she Nina is offered the um I think it's M I think M- it's ecstasy, it's MDMA. Yeah. Yeah. Um I've never seen it in a capsule form. No, like me that. too, and that's why I kind of was I was a bit confused Wait. and that's why I put MDMA next to it because I was just like, it's a capsule though. It looks like a Panadol. Like, what's going on? Yeah, I think it's funny that that feels like the least realistic part of the movie. Yeah. It's like, no, that's not how you take those drugs. Not that we would know. I guess it's it was because it was easier yeah. and more dramatic for her to slip it in her drink to yes. be able to break the capsule open yeah. and stir it around her drink while she's in the toilet. And I Putting on a sexy... Um, Singlet top over (laughs) over her sports bra. It was a very, very weird – it was such a weird – and this is where it was like, okay, I don't understand. Could have sent her off to the toilets for something a little bit more realistic. Mm. Could have just waited for her to go to the toilets. Yeah. But she saw – she came back and saw her drink being spiked and And then – And still drank it. Yeah. Yeah, and I found that interesting whether that's a reflection of – that she really just can't say no to peer pressure, mm. or that, or she whether wanted, she really she wanted, want to say yes, yeah, and it was the way that she could say yes without actually having to say yes. Yeah, like many things in this film, we don't we don't to, get an answer. We don't get to find out what Nina was thinking. Yeah. So we, she goes out and she's having a good old time drinking and partying and dancing and then she goes home. Now what we see as viewers is that she gets into a taxi with Lily. Yes. And Which they did go home together. She leaves the club and Lily is right there behind her at the door. Yes. Which we, we all know that that's unrealistic. If you're separated at a club, you've got mm. no idea where your friend is. Yeah. <laughs> that's you, the, don't, yeah. you don't know what's going on with them. You don't know when they're leaving. It takes you hours to find th- find them again if you've been separated. So, yeah, that's our first kind of clue that, eh, is this really happening? Our next kind of clue for me was when we were, she gets back to her house and her mum is yelling at her, like, where have you been? And, da, 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 and doesn't um, engage with Lily at all. And it's really quite, especially on a second, third, fourth viewing, it's really obvious First viewing, you may not pick it up so much, yeah. but there's no interaction with Lily at all from yeah. her mother. And she's kind of to the side. And I think we even really only see Lily through mirrors at this point. So many mirrors. Yes, all the so mirrors, mirrors in this movie. Yeah, so many mirrors. And then they go into to Nina's room yes. and she puts like a metal bar to stop her mum getting in. And... Lily and Nina have sex. Most unsexy sex scene. Yeah. Congratulations, Darren Aronofsky. <laughs> You've got some things you can do and they're drug trips and very unsexy sex scenes. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. 
Yes, and so then she wakes up the next because she hallucinates herself. It's, yeah, mm. it's it's really yeah. It there's a bit going on there. Again. There's, a, there's a lot going on. She wakes up the next evening. Mm. So she's about to go on stage. And I, is her mum in the room with her when she wakes up again, once again? No. No. But okay. no one is in the room with her, which surprises her because she thinks yes. she, Nina has fallen asleep with Lily. Yes. And she wakes up without Lily and not knowing what time it is because yeah. earlier in the film her mother had removed her clock. That's right. But the mother at this point too, she gets up to, to run – and the, the mother, mother's kind of said, I've called in sick for you already. Mm. You're, you're not going to go on stage. Yeah. And that's when she gets to the, she, she gets to the theatre and Lily is already being prepped to go on, on stage because she is her alternate, which Nina has had a huge meltdown about in the past <laughs> like, as well, going, oh, it not her, her, not her. Like, oh, that would have been – you would have already known about that in the real world yes. and you would have had two other alternates yes. and it wouldn't have been an alternate. Like it would have just been you four are who is cast yeah. for this role. She does have a big argument with her mother. Yeah, and that, that is when she puts the metal bar – she uses the metal bar the first time when she comes home with Lily. Okay. And she then she has a big argument with her mother. Following her mother doesn't or want her to dance the role. It's too stressful. It's too She's stressful. Not coping. Okay. And Nina criticizes her mother and and basically says, "You didn't even make it out of the call." Oh, You're that's 28. right. And she slams her mum's hand and oh. breaks her mum's hand. Yes. And then she does wake up the following day. Or the following evening really late and her mum mm. is there and that's when her mum says to her, um, I've, I've called, called in, in I've called in sick. Yeah. yeah. But she gets to to the theatre and Lily's in costume ready to go and Nina's like, No, if you haven't announced it yet, then I'm going on. This is the first time Nina really feels like an adult. It's not good behaviour, but her ability to push back and actually say, no, I, you cast me, I'm in the role, I'm here, I'm going to do it. Yeah. You haven't announced it. I'm going on. Yeah. Is the first time she sort of got the spine. Yes. To, to, yeah, to stand up for herself. Unfortunately, it's not a good sign. No. <laughs> <laughs> so she goes on. She's not with it at all. She is in a really hard lift um, gets dropped, or she says she gets dropped. Mm. Um, she wasn't holding herself well, obviously, and causes her to self to get dropped. Um, continues on, and then there's this weird confrontation in her room, in her dressing room, just after the kind of act that act has has happened. A thing that impressed me was how quickly Nina goes into hide a body mode as soon as she stabbed someone. Yeah. So Lily comes, they fight. She's thrown against a mirror because all so about mirrors, mirrors, baby. Doppelgangers and mirrors. And there are a lot of mirrors in yeah. ballet. Oh, of course. Got to be able to check your form. Yes. They fight. Nina, again, sees her own face on Lily, mm-hmm. stabs her with a bit of broken mirror. Lily dies, Nina hides the body, 
Yeah. Just fully goes into hide the body mode very, very fast. I'm very impressed. Yep. And then goes back out there to dance the black swan. Mm -hmm. This point, in my notes I've written in in very big letters, what is real? Yeah, you just don't know at this point. I do not, yeah, at this point did not know it was real, what was happening. I mean, look, I'm loving it. I am enjoying myself so much at this point in the movie. She goes out and she fully lets go. She dances the black swan. She's spectacular. The costuming and makeup too Mm. are just really good in this. Yeah. It does look great. It's filmed beautifully. But yet Natalie Portman is fantastic. Yeah, she's so good. She does such a great job with this. She goes, she dances the black swan. She lets go in the way that has been talked about the whole movie as... Something that she can't do. Yeah. Is Nina going to be able to to do this? Can, Can she let go? Can she achieve that perfection? Yeah. And she does. She kisses Tama again and there is definitely blood on his lip after this. And I did actually think like, did she bite him again? I don't think that's what happened. Yeah, I don't know. Because she then goes back to her dressing room. Mm -hmm. Gets changed back into her white swan costume. costume, Puts a towel under the bathroom door where the blood of Lily's body has been leaking out. Mm -hmm. And then there's a knock at the door. Yes, and who should open? Who should be behind that door? Lily. Lily. So then she kind of goes, what's going on here? Nina really starts to understand that she has lost her grip. Yeah, and she, she then looks at the towel. There's no blood there. Um, and then she notices that she's actually bleeding in her abdomen, which at this stage, there's if she... There's no way she could have danced. You can't dance a whole <laughs> act of a ballet with a foreign object just like wedged yeah. under your ribs and, and be no good. and no one noticing. No one <laughs> notices you don't you're not you know you're not bleeding. You're fine. Um yeah. look, we don't love this movie because of realism. No. Not at all. Um so she goes out and, and finishes Lily's really nice and congratulatory and yes. tells her basically, yeah, you were incredible. That yeah, was amazing. Lily, yeah. Just wanted to say that. And Nina's like I just stabbed you to death, bitch. Oh, no, what's happening? And realises that, oh, I've got a large piece of glass wedged in my abdomen. Damn. Yeah. But she still carries on. She carries on. She gets out there and does her final her final act as the white swan. And at the end where Odette does die, she jumps off. Everyone is comes around to congratulate her on a wonderful performance and she is bleeding. Then at this is Only. the point. This is the point that she's bleeding profusely, mm. bleeding profusely and um, – But she's managed to control it through that final yeah. act. Yeah, and impressive. then everyone panics and then that's – And then she dies. The end, she dies. But does she but really – is that a hallucination for her too? Good point. Tomar did call her his little princess, though, as Lily had predicted that he yes. would call everyone. Oh, because he's gross. Yeah, he's gross to the and end. And can't so think like, of new names Good for character consistency <laughs> there. Nice work. But, yeah, like, and does she, she actually die? No, I, I don't think so. I think that's all a hallucination for her too. I'm, at the end, not even sure that she did stab herself. No. It doesn't. If she'd stabbed herself, there's no way she could have danced. Like, and I know it's or a perhaps, film and everything, and she's m- maybe she stabbed herself 
before that final act and she wasn't stabbed before the second act. Maybe. We won't know. I love that I love that I don't know. I I really enjoy when a film particularly in horror where there's comfort in being ambiguous. Yeah. It's, it's we have a lot of um possible reasons for her mental health to be in such a state like we don't know what is wrong with her. Mm. She seems to be having hallucinations. It's the only thing that we could really be clear on. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of reasons why that might be the case. We don't really get a full answer. We don't really no. get the full background of her relationship with her mother. We get enough hints to, you know, make some decisions for ourselves. We never find out exactly what was real and what wasn't real. Exactly. It's great. Yeah, we we don't know. Natalie Portman is fantastic in this. She is she is always good. We haven't talked about her mum's creepy room of paintings of her daughter's face. Yeah, her mum's definitely obsessed mm. with her. You There's get this sense of them only really sharing one life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's very interesting. Oh, I'm glad you really liked it though, Kate. I did. I really I lo- I loved it. It's great performances from all of the cast. Barbara Hershey mm-hmm. is the mother um, doing that really – she's got this, that really severe ballet hair that mm-hmm. you know – Right, I, I knew right at the start, oh, okay, yeah, no, this is not just a, a ballet mum, this is a mum who has done ballet yeah. and is deeply invested in yeah. her daughter's and career. Living, living and living through her daughter. Yeah, that vicarious um, living her career and blaming her daughter for having ended her career. Yes. Um, Mila Kunis is great as, yeah, the less technically proficient but sensual dancer. Mm-hmm. Vincent Cassell was fantastic. Like yeah. He's really great at being creepy and yes. awful. Yes, he like, is. Bravo. He played it really well. So Natalie Portman actually won um, both a Golden Globe and Academy Award for this role. She did. Yeah, she was really, really good. She trained as a professional professional ballerina for about a year to 18 months before they started filming just so she could get her physique looking like a dancer and I think she did a really good job with that she really I think has always been kind of tiny but she does look yeah at least to the untrained eye yes like a dancer. she looks like she does she looks like a dancer um and she has that she has the right face for it too some of this is her performance but she has that that classical that's what we'll get to that some of this is her performance yes where leading up to um the academy awards i think there was a little bit more put on that she had done more More? than what she actually had done and i think that's where uh, a lot of the ballet community were kind of a little bit pissed off Mm. because there was this beautiful dancer sarah lane who is her body um, double who's now a principal at the abt but i think she was a soloist at the time and was her body double and there was lots I've got a few little statistics here of how much okay because yeah I heard that she had at least two actually danced leading up to the awards series um Sarah Lane said that there was a YouTube video of how they had you know superimposed Natalie's Mm. face on Sarah's body and that YouTube video disappeared um, leading up to the award season oh. and it seemed like it was because they, they, they wanted to they wanted to kind of get rid of this body double 
kind of narrative that was happening to make it look like that she'd done more than she probably had. We just don't want to remind anyone that anyone else was involved in her performance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That that maybe she wasn't doing all of those hard ballet moves. Which does seem unfair to the dancers who actually did do that. Because also, as an audience member, I don't expect Natalie Portman to do everything. I know she's not a ballerina. And no one would. I didn't expect her to grow feathers in the final act either. I know that also wasn't real and I'm fine with that. So the director at the time, Darren... Aronofsky, is that how you say his I name? for a second you were just going to call him Darren, like Dazza. your mate. I think Darren Aronofsky, I think that's correct. So so Daz, he said that Natalie Portman had done 80% of the dancing, that there was 139 dance shots, 111 were Natalie Portman's untouched and only 28 were Sarah Lane's Um thing so look watching back yeah maybe that statistic is right there is a lot of scenes filmed and how it is filmed you can only see the top half of Natalie Portman yes you can only see her do a port de bras which is how she moves her arms um so you got no idea what's actually going on with her feet is she on point shoes very doubtful there's just no way an adult starting ballet could be on point That fast fast, after 18 months, no way. It's unsafe Mm. to start with and it's just – I find that really hard to believe. So, yeah, so maybe there were that many ballet shots and because it was only her top part showing that, yeah, maybe. I feel like that statistic sounds realistic if we're excluding shots where we, say, only cut to her legs – and there's no Natalie Portman in yeah. it at all. If we're talking about shots where it's either is it Natalie or is it a combination of Natalie yeah. and another dancer, maybe eighty percent. There's definitely some shots where we see her top half and then we we hard cut to um, you know maybe a close up of feet. It's not, not going to be her, no. and that shouldn't have to be her. So then the film's editor came out and said that there were actually thirty five full body shots. And of those 35 shots, 12 were Natalie Portman and the rest were Sarah, which makes more sense to me. Yeah. Um, And again, I think I find this really a bit sad that this became a scandal because I don't think it needs to be a scandal. No, it didn't. And I think it just became a scandal because Mm. they were refusing to um, acknowledge how much of the body doubles they used. And I think that's fair that they so pushed back for that Benjamin Millipede, um, who's Natalie's husband and who played um, the prince in the movie, I think his name was David, the ac- like the, the character's name was David I actually kind of liked in the credits that it credited all of the actors in the character name but then also their equivalent of in their, what they Swan were Lake. in Swan Lake. And he um, was the choreographer. He kind of, it, it took the actor's side, which was his wife at the time, I guess. So he had to, to take her side. But in in doing that, I think it kind of pissed off a lot of professional dancers. But I think a lot of professional dancers were already pissed off at him because he had left his girlfriend of a few years, Isabella Boyston, Boyles, Boyston, Boyston, Isabella Boyston, this episode will be called. I can't pronounce your surname. I know. I'm so sorry. sorry. And I love her. Um, 
who she is currently a principal dancer at ABT as well. Oh. And he left her for Natalie Portman while filming was going. That that's the the rumor on the street is that while it was okay. while filming was happening, he left his girlfriend. Um, who he was living with and Scandal. yeah, and was friends with a lot of these dancers and extras that were in the movie. Right. So anyway, back to the scandal that was the dancing side of things. Sarah Lane then came out and said, and she'd been dancing for 22 years at the time, that she was this body double. Oh, wow. She said, I've been doing this for 22 years and to say that someone trained for a year and a half and did what I did is degrading not only to me but to the entire ballet world they threaten the entire principle of ballet and I feel like I needed to say something I think that's yeah she'd worked hard for 22 years to be able to do what was Hmm. shown in that film and they tried to play it off with that an actress did it and that's that's it's wrong but it's not it's not wrong that you used a body double. No, I think no one's expecting actresses and actors to be able to do what professionals in that field can yeah. do. And it should be okay for you to stand up and say da 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 yeah. and not feel threatened that you're not going to win an Academy Award for it. Darren Aronofsky talked about the um, just the rigours and the, the, the hard work you do with your body um, talking about this film and and compared it to the film he did before this, The Wrestler, yes. where they're art forms that are perceived really differently in terms of their um, cultural contribution, but that they're both about such an intense load on the body. Mm. Yeah, and no one's doubting that Natalie Portman didn't work her ass oh, off, and I think she probably and she did deserve does, that Oscar. and she does, and She's her good. her form when when it is her dancing is beautiful, and she did such an amazing job. But we shouldn't just ignore the fact mm. that she didn't do everything. There were professionals that helped her out, and that's okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So that was my little bit of goss that I had about this film very good i focused on some of the other gossip that has followed natalie portman mm-hmm. around um specifically some of some of the cases where men have maybe thought that they were in love with natalie portman and maybe natalie portman was a bit in love with them and that has not necessarily been true yeah so there's one recent um example of this that was all over the press i think last year yeah or the year before last year's a bit of a blur it may have been the year before moby released an autobiography (laughs) and in it he talked about having dated natalie portman natalie portman came out after he had released this book uh to clarify a few things um one of them being that if um, the, well, the, that he hadn't fact checked, and though his dates for when they had met were correct, uh, she was eighteen and not twenty. Yeah. Uh, but more specifically, that they had not dated. That he was just a creepy older guy who was hanging yeah. around her while she was at college. Yeah. And then he put. Oh, this was. I'm having secondhand embarrassment just thinking about <laughs> it. Because then he refuted her claim that they I hadn't know. dated. Embarrassing. Too, on his Let Instagram. It go. 
Oh, it was so embarrassing. She didn't like you, Moby. Let it go. If a woman <laughs> says she didn't date you, you didn't date her. Like you might have thought it, you might have liked her, you might have thought something was going on. But if she comes out and says that you didn't date her, you didn't date her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> embarrassing. Embarrassing. The second is uh, a, a story that is not confirmed. This is just long-standing New York literary scene gossip. But the gossip is a longtime friend of Natalie Portman's is the writer Jonathan Safran Fogg, mm-hmm. a person who I actually looked up on YouTube and checked their pronunciation. Yeah, I was, go- I was going to do that for Isabella, but we'll, I think I've said it a few times, so we'll double check and hopefully if I've said it right once, you can edit, that's the version that gets used. <laughs> we might come back at the end and just do reads of like... Say names. Kobe, <laughs> Darren, Aronofsky... <laughs> And just do all the names again and just stitch them in. Jonathan Safran Foer is a writer. He wrote um, – he's written a lot of books. He's quite well-known. He wrote a book on the ethics of eating animals. I think it's called Eating Animals. And Natalie Portman thought this book was amazing. Um, it inspired her to become a vegan. And they've been emailing back and forth for a while. Mm-hmm. Now, she was working on – making that book into a documentary. Okay. So the rumour goes, and this has never been confirmed, but Jonathan Safran divorced his wife, who was also mm-hmm. a writer, and then later this rumour emerges when the documentary doesn't get made, is that what happened is that he went to his wife and told her that he was in love with a beautiful actress and he was leaving her to be with this beautiful mm. actress and then he told the actress. Yeah. So poor Natalie Portman had no idea that this guy had just decided that they were in love and going to be together and she didn't get a say in it. Well, I mean, and then she did, which was, no, I'm going assuming this is true. And honestly, I kind of, for her sake, hope it's not because yeah. it's so embarrassing and just, oh, mortifying. But she's still happily married. Um, yeah, to, to someone husband. who left someone else for well. her. So <laughs> it's, r- it's rough to be Natalie Portman. Yeah, Everybody men just want to leave their their partners for you. You do have to. You do have to accept her decision on the matter, though. Yeah, of course. You might want to check in before you end your marriage too. But if you're willing, look, if you're willing to end your marriage over that, maybe you shouldn't be married anyway. I did. I feel that maybe his wife has been the winner in this situation. Well, I read an interview with her um, as part of my post-movie research and uh, and then I didn't write her name down. She does not address the rumour. Uh, she talks only a little bit about getting divorced. She is fully the winner in this situation. Yeah. She, Her career is, is going um, leaps and bounds and she seems very happy. Great. Good yeah. on her. So... Everything worked out fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> well, Kate, it's your turn to choose. It's my turn to choose. What are we watching next week? We are dipping into my comfort movie list. Okay. We are going to watch... The Mummy. The Mummy! Hey, the 1999 Mummy starring Brendan Fraser and awesome. Rachel Weisz, who okay. was... At the time. Well, my husband will be so happy that we I'm going to make him watch this with me. Probably not the scandal we will talk about, but 
the director of Black Swan, Darren Aronofsky, was with Rachel Weisz and had oh, a child. They were engaged for go. many years. So a lovely little connection there. And then she left him for Daniel Craig. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of leaving our partners seems to be the Hollywood way. I don't think that's the story I'm going to tell, but next week, The Mummy, a movie that I just, I love that movie so much. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to watch it. Fantastic. All right. Well, good to see you. Good to see you. And thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe. You've been listening to You Watched Watched What? What? Thank you. Bye.